0: Thank you Tim for that prayer supplication and uh, thank you Sister Amy again for the special music uh, during the uh, service this morning. What an inspiration that is and thank you all for being led by the Lord, motivated by your love for the Lord and desire to worship God this morning for being here and uh, being a part of what God is doing. If you have your Bibles, Your copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to the text that we've been preaching from, at least I have, in my series of messages from the book of Ruth. We'll begin with verse 22 of chapter 1 and then launch right on into chapter 2. And we'll be looking at one of the wonderful attributes of God, his providence, the providential working of God, when we look at the book of Ruth. And of course, that is not contained uniquely to the book of Ruth, it's all through the scriptures, old and new. But uh, as I think about the providence of God, I think about uh, a prayer that was offered by a very grateful Hebrew woman who was barren, childless, and in the Hebrew culture, that ancient Jewish culture, uh, that was a real stigma. And uh, she was suffering emotionally, relationally, uh, and also from the pressure of the culture and not having children to carry on her husband's name. And her name was Hannah. Hannah. God heard her agonizing prayer, her plea that God would show favor to her. In fact, she was so confident that God would honor her prayer that she even committed that little boy to the Lord. His name was Samuel, who would become one of the greatest prophets in the uh, history of Israel. But she dedicated Samuel back to the Lord, but but she prayed a prayer. and, And that is captured for us in 1 Samuel chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. This is just an excerpt out of that. And and listen to how this, this dear lady's gratitude. Encompasses the providential work of God. She says the Lord. Makes poor. Makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. And, and that's played out throughout the scriptures folks. You think about how God could take. An unknown Hebrew girl by the name of Esther, part of the captured Jewish people and living in captivity in uh, Syria or or Persia. And and how God, only God, could catapult that, that unknown, insignificant Jewish girl to become the queen of the whole empire. Only God could do that. And Esther was a pivotal role player in God's plan to protect his people. Oh, God could take a high and mighty and lifted up emperor like Nebuchadnezzar, the the ruler of the Babylon Empire, most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. And, and, And in his boasting of all of his power and wealth and arrogance, God plummeted him from his position of power and prominence and wealth to being like an animal, the Bible says. Crawling around out in the wilderness. His hair growing, mangled like a mane. And his, claw, his fingernails and toenails extended like claws. And grazing grass out of his mind. Oh, Hannah got it right. God can take the low and lift them up. And God can take the high and mighty and he can bring them down why because he's God the providential nature of God he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory and that's our God and this is the God who is orchestrating the affairs of a Moabite woman by the name of Ruth and we followed her story thus far through chapter 1 how she A widow accompanies her mother-in-law a widow who is a Jewish Naomi back to Bethlehem and I want you to see in these early verses in chapter 2 closing verse of chapter 1 I want you to see the providential working of sovereign God God's up to something in Ruth's life God's up to something in Naomi's life God's up to something in the life of his people Following this wild cycle in the book of of Judges. God's up to something. He's got a plan. He's always had a plan. Amen? God has a plan. He's had a plan. And the plan is still intact. And the plan will be fulfilled ultimately one day. We're all a part of it. But God had a plan. And so as we look in chapter 1 verse 22. And let me just read into chapter 2 with you. Let's just kind of follow along, and then we'll come in. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And Naomi, verse 1, chapter 2, had a kinsman, or relative, of her husband's, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And I might just comment that the fields around Bethlehem were community fields probably, according to commentators that I re- read, Bethlehem being up on a situated on a hill, as were most ancient cities, towns, in the fertile valley below, there were big fields, wide open spaces, of barley fields, if you will, and um, and what happened is everybody tended the big field, but they had portions. The field was divided up into plots. But everybody was out there working together and everybody knew where their boundaries were. So out into this wide community field where farmers and their help all out there goes Ruth. And she's in the field after gleaning after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, whom we have met in verse 1. He was of the family of Elimelech. So I want you to see as we look at this, <clears throat> we, we understand New Testament saints, understand. See, we have the benefit of, of something that a lot that the Old Testament saints didn't have. We have the benefit of the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we have the book of Romans given to us by inspiration of God through the Apostle Paul. And We have in chapter 8, verse 28, a verse that we often claim. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. Boy, Ruth could have used that. Naomi and that crowd. But we know, we know that God takes all circumstances and he works ultimately as he works out his plan, that which is good ultimately for his people. And we see that taking place right before our eyes. We see fulfillment of this wonderful verse that we know of from the Apostle Paul, because you see, first of all, that the Lord sets the stage for his plan to work out. He set the stage in Ruth's life. He sets the stage in your life and in my life. How did he set the stage? Well, it's just interesting that when Ruth got word or or Naomi got word that there was food back in Bethlehem, she decided to head back home. And of course, Ruth, as you well know, because of her deep devotion to her mother-in-law and her love for, for her mother-in-law and a commitment not only to Naomi's people, the Israelites, <clears throat> but also her commitment to, to Naomi's God. Ruth was a believer. So she accompanies her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem. At a time that we see here, that verse 22 it was at the beginning of the barley harvest now if you got two widowed ladies who have no way of making means of supporting themselves and they're absolutely dependent upon the culture or this community if you will it's a good time to come home it would not have been such a good time if they showed up in bethlehem at the end of the seasons of harvest one of the first Grain, one of the first of the grain crops to come in would be the barley. So coming at the time of the barley harvest put them at a time where there was going to be multiple uh, crops coming in over a series of times. So they were getting in at the beginning of God's time and placed them there. But not just so that they would be fed, but God placed them at a time <clears throat> where Ruth would find herself compelled to practice Gleaning. So the Lord set the stage there. He said it as, as far as seasonally God set the stage. But, but could I also submit to you, to you this morning that God set the stage legally. And I'm talking about the law. Because when you go back to the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, you'll find in verse 9. When God was given the law to to orchestrate and to organize the Jewish culture under the theology of God's ruling over his people, he gave specific laws whereby the people would live and abide and uh, sustain themselves under God's guidance. In verse 9, God says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. In other words, as they're harvesting wheat, harvesting barley, any of the grains, surely as they go along, they're going to miss some stalks. They're going to drop some stalks. Now, I guarantee you, I know because my dad is a farmer and he's got farmer neighbors and there's a big grain farmer that's renting a lot of my dad's farmland now. And he's got these massive uh, million dollar John Deere combines that can go out there and they can run those big uh, 20 foot heads across those grain heads. And I guarantee you, they drop very little. These machines are precisely computerized, designed to, to shuck out the grain and to sift it out and to cast out the chaff, the, the, the chaff and to save as many. Because every grain counts in their mind. Oh, they don't, they don't believe in gleaning today. But in the Old Testament times, God understood there would be those who are needy. And it would be responsibility of the community. The Jewish community, he's not talking about the pagans, he's talking about his people. To provide for those who are widowed and those who are strangers. Look at verse, well, listen to verse 10, Leviticus, Leviticus 19. In verse 10 it says, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So you see, God had set the stage not only as far as the seasons, but God had set the stage legally so that Naomi and Ruth would return at the precise time and be provided for, but also the context in which the story would unfold. God is constantly demonstrating His providence throughout the Word of God. God puts people where He wants people at the right time. We know in Exodus chapter three that the man Moses, or a fugitive from Egypt, is on the—he's—he's he's in a foreign land, and he's and he's living with his father-in-law and his, his wife and family, and Moses is on the backside of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep, and yet God sets the stage. He puts Moses. At a point where there's going to be a burning bush that is not consumed by the fire. And there God encounters Moses, and you know the rest of the story. Now listen, in the New Testament, we know in the book of Acts how, in Acts chapter 8, how God took Philip in the midst of a revival where he was preaching there in Syria, and 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 God took Philip and, and led him down into the desert. And there at an intersection in a desert. We're told that Philip encountered an Ethiopian eunuch who had been visiting in Jerusalem and on his way back to Ethiopia. And it just so happened that that Ethiopian was reading Isaiah 53 and he needed somebody to interpret it. And who would show up but Philip? And knew exactly what to say. And that Ethiopian eunuch was converted. And gave his life to the Lord. Was baptized. And on his way back to Ethiopia. And I would like to think that he was fired up for Jesus Christ. And went back and started the church. Probably one of the first churches in northern Africa. Listen, God knows how to arrange circumstances. And knows where to put his people when he wants them. And so he's got Ruth. Back in Bethlehem, he's got her engaging in a God-given practice of gleaning in the fields. And she is being cared for. Well, so God sets the stage, okay? And he has here, as we see. But as we also read, we see where the Lord arranges the cast. And so Ruth is emerging as a key player and Naomi is beginning to fade into the background. Her her significance in the story will, will momentarily diminish. Naomi has been the central character up to this point. But now we see Ruth beginning to take initiative. In verse 2, when Ruth, the Moabites, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. She's basically saying, Mother-in-law, I'm going to take charge of Taking care of you. And supporting us. I'll go and I'll do the work. She didn't say you need to come. Ruth begins to take the initiative in the story. And she begins to emerge as a key character in the story. Whereas Naomi begins to kind of fade back. Now this is a big deal folks. Remember Ruth is not a Jewish woman. She's a foreigner. Not only that. It's it's tough enough to, to, to become a part of a Jewish culture if you are, you know, from a friendly country, but what if you're coming from a country that has been regarded as a perennial enemy? The distrust. and What a, what a bold step of faith for her to go by herself. She could have taken Naomi just to cover for her and vouch for her, but she went and immersed herself out there in the fields amongst workers, not the most friendly environment for a woman to be in, and yet that's where God has led her. He's set her out there By his own design. But then we see another character that God, is as he's arranging the cast, as we see in chapter 2, in verse 1, we find, it tells us that Naomi had a kinsman, a, a relative, and he's on her husband's side. That's important. It really wouldn't matter if Boaz was on her side, but the fact that he is related to her deceased husband, Elimelech, which means he would be related to Ruth's husband. And so we find here, Boaz is introduced as, as a relative. In, in some translations it goes even further. It says that he's, he's more than just a distant cousin, if you will. He could be even as close as a brother of Elimelech. In other words, he's tied to the family. And that will play into the, into the unfolding of this providential story. But also the scripture tells us that Boaz is a man of wealth. And in some translations it says a man of valor. Just like you would find in Judges chapter 6 when it was talking about in verse 14, Gideon. When, when the angel of the Lord said, you know, to, to Gideon, you know, rise up you man of valor. Boaz was regarded not only as a man who, who possessed property and knew how to manage his land and manage his affairs. A man of, of, of good, of, of means, if you will, financially. But he was also regarded highly in the community as being a man of integrity. And so, you'll notice in verse 3. Then she, speaking of Ruth, left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She goes down, as I said, in the midst of this huge community field represented by different farmers and their reapers and workers who are out there and she just picks a plot. And the scripture tells us, and she happened. In other words, some people would say, well, she just by chance picked out the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. Ruth would look back from her probably pagan background and say, always just luck. I just happened to show up in the plot that belonged to Boaz. But we know better because God is orchestrating. God is leading. He does that when he's got his plan in effect in the life of his people. We know that Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, For it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let me tell you something. God has a plan for your life. Now he's not going to, Now he could. He could speak to you audibly like he did Moses, but it's unlikely. Because you have his word to guide you. You have his word to speak to you. You have his Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something. God is guiding, God is directing everybody that listens. You've got to have a relationship with the Lord, first of all. You've got to be in tune with the Lord. You've got to communicate with God. We communicate with the Lord through reading His Word, understanding His will. We communicate with God through regular prayer time with the Lord. That doesn't mean just speaking and asking God to give, 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 or do, do, do. But prayer involves listening meditating reflecting and letting the lord as paul says work in you to understand his will to be nudged by his will to be led by his holy spirit to be where he wants you to be be who he wants you to be do what he wants you to do don't underestimate the importance of the plan that god may be working in your life even now Ruth had no idea. She just wanted to come back to Bethlehem and be with her sweet mother-in-law and somehow get along. Little did she know that the God of the universe, the God of the people that she was immersing herself into the midst of, the true and living Jehovah God, had a mighty plan, a dynamic and divine plan. A plan that would change the course of history and alter the outcome of humanity for all the ages to come. And she would be a part of it. But you see, she had to be where God wanted her to be. In Bethlehem. Doing what God wanted her to do. Gleaning exactly where he wanted her to be. In the field of Boaz. So the providential working of sovereign God is even unfolding right here in the early verses of this chapter. But I want you to see also when we talk about the providential nature of God, you understand that God works in relationships. You know, when my children were very young, I, I began praying for them. I I don't know if I still got it in my old prayer log. It's all worn out. But I remember praying for Tim and praying for Laurie when they were just little chaps. Asking God that he and his Sovereignty and His love for them and His providential working would bring into their lives the very mate that would be the person that God would want to walk alongside of them through their life. Listen, there's no other prayer a parent can pray second only to that child becoming a Christian. And I look around and I see folks, you know, which are your, your spouses, and I think about, you know, how God could have worked. He did work. If we were yielded to the Lord, seeking His will. God is orchestrating a relationship as we look further in here. Of all, of all the women of Moab, and there were a lot of Moabite women. <laughs> I mean, even when it came down to the two finalists, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah and, 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 and Ruth, the two sister-in-laws, you know, it, it, and, and the, the final straw was being drawn of all the women of, of Moab. God chose one. Ruth. Uh, of all the men of, of, of Bethlehem. oh, let's expand it out to the tribe, Of all the men of the tribe of Judah that could have qualified. God so chose one. His name was Boaz. First, as we think about Boaz, as I indicated, he was a man of impeccable character, a man of integrity, not just any Israelites going to do for the man that needs to play the role of Ruth's husband, and God's already picked him out. And, you know, we see things demonstrated. For instance, as we look in verse 4, consider the character of this man, Boaz. He's already got the respect of the community, he's already a man of, of means. He, you know, when you got a lot of money, you got a lot of property, and got a lot of power, you know what? You could be a little bit stuffy. Some of y'all know some probably, you know, stuck up rich people. Don't call their names out, they may be members of the church. But the fact is, you know, sometimes people let that stuff go to their heads. And they don't want to have anything to do with us commoners, right? They don't want to mingle with people that drive old beat-up Hondas and, you know, walk around in leftover clothes and things like that. No, no, no. They want to to be with the upper echelon, the the society crowd. But isn't it interesting in verse 4? It says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Folks, you can tell a lot about a man. in his Number one, A lot of rich guys, property owners, wouldn't even bother to come out to the field. Why can't they get dirty and dusty with all that barley harvest going on? Stay back in your big mansion and send a supervisor out there. Let him get a status report. But you'll notice Boaz is not that kind of a man, though he is a man of, well, a lot of means. He comes to the barley field, obviously close enough to the men that he can greet them. And how does he greet them? Y'all working hard today? How much barley have you harvested? How how long are you going to work today? No, you can't have all tomorrow. The first thing out of the man's mouth is, the Lord be with you. And I believe we hear sincerity in his heart. What is their response to him? Oh no, it's the boss man. (laughs) We're working boss, we're working. (laughs) They're greeting him back in greetings that center around Jehovah. The Lord bless you tells us something about the nature of this man in the way he greets even those who are his workers. Now, those of you who are supervisors, there's some pressure on you. Consider how you greet your employees in the morning or those who you supervise or, you know, work under you. You know, you can, you can, get the, you can make their day or you can break their day in many ways, can't you? The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, let your speech be seasoned with grace. As though with salt, that you may know how to respond to other people. You ever think about how you greet people? Particularly people who are maybe under you and your supervisor. Boaz didn't come out there and looking down his nose on them. and, and You know, he, you hear a man of grace. And it elicits grace from those who are under him. And we we'll see other things about this relationship for in fact as we go further in the story you'll see where boaz takes time to 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 sit and eat with his, his workers he's not setting up in a a big tent you know plush setting and eating you know hors d'oeuvres and and having caviar and, and lamb and all of that you know while they're out there eating bologna sandwiches He goes and sits and mingles with his men. Uh, Folks, that tells you something about the nature of the man that God is providentially orchestrating into this relationship with Ruth. We see him, a lot about him, in his his talk. Well, let's let's read and see as the story unfolds. Then Boaz said to the servants, verse 5, who was in charge of the reapers, "Uh, Whose young woman is this? He's speaking about Ruth. She's caught his attention. And there are other reapers out there in the field. But mind you, God's directing his attention to this young lady, Ruth. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now. Though she has rested a little in the house, they had a little hut where they could rest in the shade, the workers and gleaners. Now notice that the conversation turns from Boaz to the servants to Boaz to Ruth. He's in earshot of Ruth now. And he's talking directly to Ruth now. And he says, you will listen, my daughter, as if he's taken ownership of her. Will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. So Boaz said, women that were out there who were helping to glean. He says, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And then she fell down on her face and bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She never forgot that. And Boaz answered and said to her, It, was, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and full reward be given by the Lord, God of Israel, under those under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then in verse 13, she says, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at the mealtime, he's eating with the workers, come here and eat of the bread. And dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and passed, and he, and he passed parts grain to her, which is kind of a delicacy. And, and she ate and was satisfied and kept back some. Verse 15, when she arose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also also let some grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that that she may glean and do not rebuke her. You get a sense of the nature. I like how Dr. J. Vernon McGee in his old commentary through the Bible. He says, you know, love is in the air. He says, if we were seeing this on cartoons, he'd say we'd see hearts floating around Boaz's head. Because you can see that suddenly this stranger... Moabite woman has captured his attention and obviously these were benefits he was offering to her that would not go to the average strange gleaner but then we, you know as we think about the character, the humbleness the, the compassion of, of, of Boaz you know we can't help but think about another man who would be an exemplary man of grace and humility a thousand years later. His name was Joseph. In Matthew's gospel, in chapter 1, verse 9, when Matthew found out that Mary, his betrothed wife-to-be, was pregnant, he knew it wasn't his child. He knew the disgrace of the culture that would come upon her, even possibly a death sentence if he so desired. And yet we're told, we're told there about Matthew's, Rendition that Joseph contemplated the circumstances. And I no doubt he debated in his heart what was the right thing to do. And instead of bringing her before the society and having her charged and punished. He chose to quietly put her aside. Give her a legal divorce so she could pursue. Not knowing, not knowing at that time. He was a man of exceptional grace. A man that God had singled out. And I think it's interesting because here's Boaz a thousand years earlier than Joseph in the city or town of Bethlehem exemplifying the same kind of compassion and grace to a humble woman. Finally, I want to look at Ruth's attractive humility, respect, and submission. Not just any woman would do. It took a woman like Ruth We see in verse 11 where Boaz, his his supervisor didn't tell him all of this, folks. He gathered this from the talk in the town. He knew about Ruth. He didn't recognize her. But once he found out this was the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi, he knew about her. Let me tell you something. He was a man in the know. And he told Ruth, he says, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to be a people to a people whom you did not know before. He says, I've heard about you, Ruth. Her reputation of, of humility her reputation of dedication her reputation of love for family and her love for Naomi and her love for Naomi's people and her love for Naomi's God had preceded her Na- listen Boaz had her resume he says I know I know the kind of woman that you are and just in observing her mannerisms I think about Another humble woman uh, 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 that that reminds me of, of Ruth who would venture to the town of Bethlehem a thousand years later. A very humble Jewish girl by the name of Mary would be selected by god to bear the son of god where the spirit of god would overshadow her she says how can this possibly be i've not known a man And and the angel explained mary this is a divine thing and she basically says here is your humble servant no, she didn't say, oh God, wait a minute. I, I got to think about this. You know, I could be ostracized for this. I could be, I could be executed for this kind of a thing. Uh, listen, I got a reputation. To oh no, no. And she went into a beautiful, magnificat in, there in chapter one of Luke's gospel where she gave praise to God, the God of all of, of, of creation who would exalt and give favor to a humble servant like her. I couldn't help but think about Mary as I was thinking about what God was doing in the life of a woman like Ruth. We see the character, her humility, her deep respect and submission exemplified in her relationship with Naomi. She was committed to follow her all the way back from Moab, leaving behind her people, her gods, and everything that she might come. Not only that, she didn't sit around and say, now here I am, Naomi, you know, you're... No good weak son died on me, so you know, come up with some groceries and take care of me because I'm your responsibility now. No, that's not what the scripture says. She went out. She said, listen, I'm going out. I'm going to work. I'm going to provide means for us. And Naomi, of course, blessed her to do that. Listen to what the reapers, these men who didn't know her, but when she came and asked to have the privilege to glean, they said, listen, she came and she politely and respectfully asked that she might glean. And listen, boss man, she's a worker. I'm paraphrasing. She's been working from the early morning all the way till break time. She hasn't stopped. She's not lazy. She's not laying over there in the shade. She took one short break in the house and she's back out there again. Hard, working, dedicated woman. You know, it makes me think about the Proverbs 31 woman. And could it be that Solomon had in mind as he's writing that passage about the woman in Proverbs 31 who is a family woman, a dedicated woman. She's committed to her family. She's a hard-working, industrious woman. She's respected in the community. She, she lifts up the name and the reputation of her husband. Could it be that Ruth was the woman that Solomon was even thinking about? Well, I want to finish by Describing you something that I think is very important. Don't miss this. Because nowhere that I find. Does it say. That Ruth. This Moabitess. Was this beautiful flowing redhead. Blue eyed. Or green eyed. You take your pick. You know. Coca-Cola bottle figure. Just knock out beauty. That caused Boaz's jaws to drop. There's no mention about her physical attributes. The thing that makes this Moabite woman so absolutely beautiful to this man of prominence, it's not what he sees on the outside. It's what he sees on the inside. Oh, I wish I had a sanctuary full of young men Prospects to be married someday in the near future that I could say, gentlemen, gentlemen, it's okay to have a pretty bride. That's fine if that's so the way that God directs, but be wise, be wise. As wise as God would have you to be and look at the inside because God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside and Boaz was wise enough to look at the character of the woman Ruth and that's what attracted him to her. It was her humble attitude, her submission, her dedication, her commitment, her hardworking attitude. And he's thinking, man alive. Well, I'm, I'm putting those words in his mind. And the story continues to unfold. I was thinking as I was preparing this message, and my wife was doing one of her favorite things, watching a Hallmark Christmas love story. I'm sure there's only a few to see out there. (laughs) And I thought, man, this would make a good Hallmark. And so we'll pick up from there. But just consider the sovereignty, the providential nature of Almighty God as he unfolds his story in the lives of his humble servants. Don't underestimate the part that God has for you in your life story.